Okay, Boker Tov, today's daf is Kuftet, Babakama 109. We're at the mission at the bottom of Kufchet Amudbet, and we're in the middle of a discussion about the section in the Torah where it speaks about somebody swearing falsely about stealing an object, and that he has to return, when he comes and admits it, he has to return the object and add a fifth, um, and also bring a Korban Asham. So let's take a look at the Mishnah. Hecha Piktoni, bottom of Kufchet Amudbet. Where is my, uh, the object that I entrusted you with? I'm a low avad. It got stolen and he was a shomer chinam. So he's claiming that it was lost and he's exempt. He says, I force you to take an oath that that's what happened. And the shomer said, I said, yes, I swear, you know, that it got stolen. So there's a case, again, of stealing something, swearing falsely about it. In his very act of swearing, he was stealing it. And now we find out that actually he consumed it and he took it. Mishalem Karen. So then he only pays the principal, even though he swore falsely. The special parsha in the Torah is only when he admits on his own. Hodemiatsmo, however, if he admits on his own and not the aid him testified, then Mishal and Karen, not only does he play the principal, but Vichomesh, he adds a fifth. The um, Asham, and he brings a Korban Asham. So in a way, it's a bigger punishment, but ultimately it's not a punishment. This is what brings him atonement. Now, Hechen Piktoni. Now, let's say he said, where the uh, person who entrusted the object said, where's the object I entrusted you? Amalo and the, uh, the Shomer said, Nignov. It was stolen. Another way of getting out it. Meshbiachani. I swear you, I, 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 you know, impose an oath on you. Amar Amen. And he said, Amen. And he answered Amen to the oath. And the witnesses testify that he actually has kept it to himself. Gnavo here just meaning he himself kept it um, when he claimed it was lost or stolen, or when he claimed it was stolen. So Mishalim Teshlumi Kefel, in that case, case, as contrasted to the first one where he said it was lost, here where he says it was burglared, um, it was Nignav, so the halacha is that a towing tainus Ganav, that if somebody says it was Nignav, um, then he himself is treated like the Ganav. And he there will pay Kefel just like a Ganav will pay Kefel. Okay, so the big difference between when he says Avad, he pays only the principal. When he says Nignav and the witnesses come, he pays Kefel. However, Hodemiatsmo, here he'll, it'll be less if he admits on his own, um, then that does not, that's not the category of Gneva and Kefa, which requires Adim, but it's the category of this parasha of uh, the Shvua. Then Mishalim Karen Vachomash for Asham. He pays the principal and a fifth and the Asham. Okay, that's the first part of the Mishnah, and the Gemara is not going to discuss that. It's pretty straightforward. Let's look at the next part of the Mishnah, which will be the focus of the Gemara. Hagozelus Aviv, somebody steals from his father. Vinish below Mace, and he swears to his father falsely. He says, I didn't steal it. And then the father died. So now the, the, the complicating factor is that he inherits his father. So he has to return the object. Who is he going to return it to? Um, so let's take a look. Um, or he pays the principal and the fifth. Asham is like in parentheses here because the focus is who is he paying it to? Who is he, who is he paying the principal and the fifth? Libanov, Olachiv, to his sons or his brothers. Now, there's a whole big debate of Rashi and Tosus and Rambam how to read this. Um, I'm going to read this first like Rambam. Okay, Rambam says that he, pay, he pays to... Um, and Rambam gives exactly the verse, Lachiv o Lubanav. First, he prays, he gives it to his brothers, even though in a way he was an equal inheritor of the father, and if there are three brothers, maybe a third of what he stole really would he would have inherited had he not stolen it. It doesn't matter. He has a mitzvah to return the 
object he stole it, he has to get it out of his possession or the value of it. And he would go ahead and he would give it to his brothers who also who now represent the father. Or if he doesn't have brothers, the Ramam had the gears of first Lachiv, then he could give it to his son because his son would have inherited from him, you know, so his son to some degree as the grandson of the person who died represents the person who died. But the key is he's got to get it out of his possession, even if he is the sole heir. And he, like, he would have inherited it all from his father. It doesn't matter. He stole it. He swore. There's a mitzvah to get it out of your possession. And he would give it to his son. Now, now, if he doesn't want to, meaning, you know, he, he's very poor and he can't afford giving up this object, um, or which for Rambam would mean that he doesn't have any brothers or, and he doesn't have a son. So what's he going to do? He's the sole heir. There's nobody that represents the father. How is he going to get it out of his possession? So what will he do? Love So he borrows money. And when it is time to pay the debt, this is the way Rambam reads it, when it's time to pay the debt, the, um, he, he would just pay the debt, he would pay the debt with the, um, um, with the, uh, with this thing that he stole, okay, or with the, so, and that, would, and we'll see in the Gemara, he'll sort of say, this is the object I stole from my father, but he's, oh, and because he's giving it to someone, even though that someone are creditors that he owes money to, that is, has to be some type of a ritual returning of the object, that he needs to get the object out of his possession. Or, you know, if it's money, you know, he needs to get the money of the, you know, that represents the object, um, you know, if, if the object is destroyed, um, out of his possession. That's the way Rambam reads it. Rashi reads it a little differently. Rashi, or not a little, a lot differently. Rashi reads it that um, this is all about him being able to hold on to the portion he would have inherited. So if there's two brothers that's ignore the issue of Bechor, you know, um, and he had never stolen from his father, he would have been able to keep a third of this object. And therefore, Rashi says, if he doesn't, you know, he gives it to you know, his father's sons, his brothers who would have inherited, you know, or his father's brothers, you know, he gives it to sort of somebody that sort of, because if his father doesn't have any sons, then his brothers um, inherit from him. Um, that's the people he gives it to. But if he doesn't want to, or he doesn't have any money, meaning he can't afford losing this third that would have been coming to him. So then what he does is, you know, he borrows money and he uses the money to pay and um, his uh, brothers or his uncles. And when the, and they pay them, you know, the value of the object, let's say the object was worth a thousand dollars, or let's say 900 to make it divisible by three. He borrows $900, he gives it to the uh, brothers. And then when the creditors come and ask him for his $900 back, he basically, you know, points them to 300 of the dollars he'll collect from the brothers and he'll pay the other six. So somehow there, that way, it's not exactly clear how that works, but somehow in that way he's able to not have to lose, even he gave the full $900 back, but eventually he doesn't lose the full, you know, he only loses the two thirds that would not have been coming to him, not the third that would have been coming to him. That's the way Rashi reads it. It's not exactly clear how that works. Um, anyway, Tosfos has a different take. Tosfos has a has yet a third read of this. Tosa says is that um, he borrows, you know, let's, that basically he does, he can't give up any of it. Um, so what's he going to do? Um, he is going to borrow 
you know, let's say it's worth $1,000. He'll borrow $1,000 and he'll say to the creditors, this object I stole is, is going to be the collateral for the loan. Then he gives the object to the brothers and then the creditors come and they have a lien on that object and they come and they take it from the brothers. And that way he does not lose any money. You know, he keeps his $1,000 and the object gets totally taken from the brother or if it's land, you know, and it, he, the object wasn't actually in existence. They use their liens to take the land away from the brothers. Now, for Tosos, it's uh, very strange because ultimately that's really unfair. Um, at the end of the day, the, that way of reading it is that the brothers would have inherited, you know, two-thirds of this had he never stolen it. And because he stole it, now he's going to do this trick and he's actually going get to keep what he stole. So I really don't know how to explain it. Anyway, three very different ways of explaining this. Rambam is maybe the easiest to understand. Okay. Um, now, if somebody says to his son, I'm making a neder that you cannot get any benefit from my property. Um, okay, if he, so when the father dies, the son can still inherit because it's, because the assumption is, you know, you cannot get benefit when it's mine, but after he dies, it's no longer his, it's the son's, and therefore, you know, it, it's not a problem. If he says, you cannot get any benefit from this property when I'm alive or even after I, I'm dead, okay, then the son cannot inherit because then it would be, you know, he would be getting uh, benefit from property that does not, uh, that he is, that the neder is, prevents him from getting benefit from. Now, um, uh, and therefore the property, he's not going to be able to inherit it. And it has to go to, you know, you know, again, whether the father's brothers and the father's sons or his brothers and his sons, but it goes to the other heirs. Now let's say the, uh, you know, he doesn't have any, um, uh, you know, there, there are no, uh, again, two different ways of reading this. For Rambam, it would mean there are no brothers or heirs. He's the only heir. So what, what's going to happen with his property? Or the way Rashi or Tosos would read it, you know, he can't afford to not inherit this property. He has no other money. He needs to inherit this property. So what is he going to do? So this is a lot easier. So let's say this property is worth $10,000 and, um, you know, he can't afford not to inherit it, but the father made a neder. So what he does is he borrows $10,000 and, you know, he's not touching the property. Technically, it's, you know, in his possession, he's not touching it. Once he borrows the $10,000, there are liens on the property. And then when the, when the borrowers come, you know, he says, I don't have the money or whatever. I, you know, he, he doesn't pay that. He doesn't pay them. And they go and they exercise their liens and they collect the property. So because in that case, even though obviously he's benefiting that there was the property was available to be used, you know, to satisfy his debt. Nevertheless, because he did not di- directly derive benefit, he just is using the cash they gave him and they're exercising their liens. That is understood to be a way around it that allows that that, you know, he's not violating the neder because they're the ones that are directly benefiting from the property. All right. Let's take a look at the Gemara. I'm a Rav Yosef. Three lines from the top on Kutetam Says Rav Yosef. Afilu 
if there's nobody to give it back to, and we're going to, you know, read this like Rambam, which is the easiest read, there's nobody to give this back to, no brothers, no sons or whatever. So Rambam read that like, okay, well, you can use it to pay off your creditors. Just get it out of your possession. So Rav Yosef would say, well, you can even give it to tzedakah. You know, the classic thing like is, do I owe you $10? I don't remember. Did I pay you back? No, just give it to tzedakah. So that idea is already in the Gemara. You got to get the property out of your hand. So it says the mission, if there's no heirs, give it to your creditors or just give it to Tzedakah, says Rav Yosef. Amar of Papa says, Rav Papa, avi. But for that to constitute some form of hashava, some ritual returning of it, um, then you have to identify it as such. This is this property that I stole from my father. Okay. Now the Gemara says like this. Am I? Now, says the Gemara, not in this case when the property is like still around, but if, you know, the property that was stolen is, has been destroyed and it's basically just a debt. So the Gemara says, why, if it's only a debt, is it important to, um, you know, to, 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 get, to get it out of your hands? Or why can, you know, was it all complicated that if the father died, you know, he couldn't keep the third that was his? What's the problem, says the Gemara? Once it's a debt and the father isn't around and he's an heir, why doesn't he just say, like, I waive the part that's coming to me. A third of it should come to me, in the case when he had two brothers, and, you know, and um, I waive the part coming to me. Or if he has no brothers, why does he have to give it to Tzedakah? Just say, like, I owe it to myself and I waive the debt. Now, the answer would be because what we're seeing here is that it's not just a debt. If there's an importance to give it to Tzedakah or give it to creditors, there's something symbolic about handing the money over. So that's what the Gemara is going to ask. In this case, is it just a debt? And if it's just a debt, then he doesn't have to pay the part he inherits. He could be mochile to himself, and if he's the only person, he pays nothing. So the Mishnah makes it sound, though, that it's more than being a debt. It's actually an act of giving it over. But is that really true? Let's take a look. Milo um, did we not teach it in an earlier Mishnah? That if, that if the person that the money was stolen from says, I moche, like I waive the debt. You don't have to give me back the Karen, you know, but not the Chomesh. And anyway, it goes on and discusses it. But it's clear from that Mishnah that when a person, the, 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 the person who, who, you know, who, from whom it was stolen waves it, we don't say still give the money back to him. That actually means you're off the hook. So you see that the key is, is there actually a debt or not? And if the debt has been satisfied even by being waived, then there is no additional need to do this act of returning the money. So if that's true, what's, why is this mission so complicated? Father dies, you know, it's just a debt. Why does he have to go through this whole thing about giving up his portion to his brothers or finding a creditor or tzedakah? It's just a debt and he, he's an heir. So what's the big deal? So let's take a look. Alma says the Gemara bar mechila. You see from the Mishnah that it's something that mechila works, and we really focus on it as a debt. So why is our Mishnah demanding this act of handing it over? Amar Reb Yochanan lo kasha har Reb Yosei Aglili har Akiva. It's a debate between Reb Yosei Aglili and Reb Akiva whether the early Mishnah that said mechila works 
is, we'll see, is Rabbi Yossi Haglili, and, who focuses on just the money owed, and our Mishnah that clearly needs some act of giving it over is Rabbi Akiva, who needs this act act of handing it over. Titania, we taught in the Brisa. If the person has no redeemer to give the money, the thing that was stolen back to, and the Gemara will later say that that's talking about a ger that has no relatives, okay, then you, know, then you bring it to the Kohen. So the Brisa says like this. You know, and that's what the Gemara is saying. Excuse me, he's going to say it right here. Is there anybody that doesn't have a relative that you can give the money back to? It's talking about you stole from a ger, the ger died, there's nobody to give it back to, and um, you know, relatives, and therefore you give that money, the principle that you lied about and swore about, you give it to the Kohanim. So let's take a, let's talk about a case. Let's say somebody stole from this ger. Vinish below, and he swore to him, the Shamashamisa ger, and then he heard that the ger died. So now, okay, I'm going to have to bring the money to the Kohanim. And was bringing his money and the Korban Hashem and was bringing it to Yerushalayim. And then, he, and then he bumped into the ger, like, you know, uh, um, what's his name? Mark Twain said, rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. So the ger actually had not died. So now he owes the money to the ger. It's a very colorful description of what happened. Anyway, um, and the ger said, you know what? You know, like, like r- rather than the guy had the money in his hand, he had the thousand dollars in his hand. But the gear was a nice guy, and he said, "You know what? You can pay me later. You'll owe me the money." All right, umes, and then the gear died. said, "Great! Now you're off the hook. That thousand dollars you can keep. Had the gear died, and you never had. Well, we'll worry about that later. But if you know, if you were." There was a standard case of the gear dying and, you know, and then you came to return the money, it would go to the Kohen. Um, but in this case, because the gear was alive and, you, you, you know, and you owed the money to the gear, so the Kohanim are out of the picture. And now when the gear dies, the principle is, is that if a gear dies and, you know, he has no children and nobody to inherit his property, whoever first seizes his property has a right to the property. So you owe the gear $1,000 because you had this little exchange here. And, um, and then the gear died. So that $1,000 essentially that was in your possession that you owed him, now you've seized it and now it's yours and now you're done. So you see, Rabbi Yosei feels that when the debt part of it goes away, there's no need to do an act of some type of a ritual act of giving the money over. Um, Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva says, sorry, that's not going to work. The fact that you now don't owe money to anybody, you owed it to the gear and he died, so your debt got wiped away, you're not off the hook until you actually hand over the $1,000. So the Gemara says, that's the debate of Rabbi Yossi Aglili and Rabbi Akiva. Is it just about a debt? Or is there actually a ritual act of giving it over? Um, okay, Rabbi Yossi Aglili, lo And the Gemara is now going to read this debate as if, you know, they're taking extreme positions. It doesn't matter if the person you stole from um, like, f- forgives you the debt. The earlier Mishnah, you know, the guy waives the debt. Or... You are the heir and, you know, in our Mishnah, and you waived yourself the debt. You were the heir, therefore you said, okay, I owe myself the money. It's all gone away. Neither of those matters. Basically, we look at it as a debt, and if the debt is paid, however it got paid or waived, you're off the hook. You can have it being waived and forgiven, and then you're off the hook. There's no ever, ever an aspect of a ritual act of giving. Rebbe Akiva, and Rebbe Akiva would go to the opposite extreme. 
It doesn't matter whether you're going to, um, whether other people waive the debt to you or whether you, you know, it, you, uh, um, it, like in our Mishnah, inherited it and basically you owe yourself the money. None of, any type of waiving doesn't work. There's always a need to, give, uh, to do a ritual act of giving. All right? Now, the reason the Gemara is making these points is because we'll see in a minute there's a way to read that actually those things do make a difference and maybe their debate is not as an extreme. But right now, the Gemara is framing the debate as an extreme. But Rosé Glee says it's all about a debt. And if the debt gets erased, whether because you were the heir, because somebody else forgave it, because of the case of the gear, then you're off the hook. And Rabbi Akiva says it's all about a ritual act of giving. I don't care how the debt got erased. You still have to do the act. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. And, that, and therefore, that explains it. The earlier mission that spoke about Mechila was Rabbi Yossi Aglili. Our mission that says that if the father dies, there still has to be some ritual act of giving. That's Rabbi Akiva. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. And according to Rabbi Yossi, really says the Gemara, you didn't need the case of the gear of bumping into the gear and the gear saying, you know what, it'll be a loan. Why? Because even if the gear didn't say that, in your mind, you thought the gear, the gear had died and you were bringing the money to the Kohanim. But the reality was, was that the gear was alive. So the reality was, was that you owed the gear the money. And then the gear died, okay? And therefore, now you, now the debt is erased. Anybody who owes money to a gear, once the gear dies, the debt is erased. Okay, so you, in Rebbe Yosef, you really didn't need the scenario of bumping into the gear. Okay, now we'll have to talk about what is the case that the money actually goes to the, to, to the Kohanim. Doesn't it sound like always it would get erased? Okay, so we'll see about that later. But the point the Gemara is making is that for Rebbe Yosef, if it's all about a debt, then you swore to the gear, you owe the gear the money, the gear dies, the debt gets erased, because that's what happens when a gear dies, his, you know, the, you know, money owed to him, if there's no heirs or whatever, the, the dust gets erased, and therefore you're off the hook. Okay, so, even if you didn't have that encounter where the gear said, it'll be like you owe me the money, um, you'll just owe it to me. So why did it give that scenario? You might have thought that even though Rabbi Akiva requires a ritual giving, if the gear says, you know what, you'll owe me the money, maybe that would have been like you gave him the money and he lent it back to you. Sometimes we imagine that. Let it be, you know, like you'll, pay, you'll owe me the money, you'll pay it to me later. So maybe for Rabbi, Yosef, for Rabbi Akiva that would have counted as a ritual act of giving, and it says no. Okay, so what is the Gemara saying now? We have an early Mishnah that says that Mechila works. We have our Mishnah that if you're an heir, tough luck, you still have to give it. It seems like there's a debate here about whether to think of Gezel Hager and the obligation just in terms of money owed or a ritual act of giving. The Gemara says that's a debate of Rabbi Yosei Aglili and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yosei Aglili says it's just a debt. That was the earlier Mishnah, Mechila works. Rabbi Akiva says there's an act, a ritual act of giving. That's our Mishnah. So if you're the only heir, you have to find a way to, to get it out of your possession. The case of the Ger is a case of, it doesn't really matter whether there was, it it turned into a loan or didn't turn into a loan. At the end of the day, Rabbi Yosef Aglili would always say, you know, um, you're exempt because it's just a debt and once the gear dies, the debt is erased. And Rabbi Akiva would say, you're always chayev, even if it was a loan, you didn't actually give it. And therefore, whenever you still have to do it, do go ahead and give the money after the gear dies. Okay, so that's read number one, that they take extreme positions. 
challenged this reading of, um, of uh, what do you call it, of Rabbi Yochanan. Um, Okay, if that's true, that Rabbi Yossi Aglili says that it's all about the debt, why is the one Mishnah that we have of Rabbi Yossi Aglili when the person you stole it from forgives you? That could be seen maybe since you're dealing with the person you stole it from and he says, I forgive you. That's a case that maybe could be think, thought of as if you gave him the money. It's a much bigger chiddish to say that even when you're the heir and there is nobody external to forgive you, that even in that case, all it is is a debt and you don't have to worry about it. So if Rabbi Yossi thought Mechila worked in all cases, why does he only give us the earlier Mishnah about the Nigzal doing Mechila? He should have said his halacha in our Mishnah that there was no other party and nevertheless, it's just a debt and you're exempt. Okay, give us the case when you're forgiving yourself the debt, our Mishnah. And certainly in the case where the Nigzal forgives it, that would certainly work. And you could say the same for Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, remember we said our Mishnah that said you, when you were the heir, you had to do some ritual act of giving. That was Rabbi Akiva that required a ritual act. But why does he only say the case when you're the only party? He should have told us that even if the Nigzal says it's forgiven, even then you still have to give it to him. That's a huge chiddush. The Nigzal actively forgives you and you still have to give it to him. The Certainly if like you're the only party in, like in our mission where you're the only heir. So I get how you could explain in its extreme debate, but it's funny that our Mishnayot, which you're lining up, are taking the least strong positions for, e- you know, for each of those positions. Um, Ella, so therefore it makes much more sense to say that the debate is much smaller than you framed it. They're both Rabbi Yosei both the Mishnah that Mechila works, the earlier Mishnah, and our Mishnah that um, when you're the only heir, you still have to give it. Rabbi Yosei says, look, I do agree that there has to be some type of a, you know, giving back. But if you try to give back and the Nigzal says, I forgive you, that counts as a giving back. Okay, so that's enough if it's forgiven through somebody else. Or if the gear says it's a loan and then the gear dies, that counts as if he forgave it you. There's an exchange with the other person around this, around what you owe them. That Rabbi Yossi Aglili would say is okay. But in our case, of the, um, where, where you're the old sole heir, where you're the sole heir, so in that case, um, you know, there's no act that could be considered some act of returning. It's just, okay, there's nobody you owe money to. And in that case, even Rabbi Yosef Lili is not satisfied. So that's much easier. First of all, it has both Mishnayas going according to the same position. And it says, you know, even Rabbi Yosef Lili fundamentally admits there has to be some type of an act with the person you stole it from. And therefore, in our Mishnah, you got a problem. You're the only person, you got to find some way to, you know, you're the only heir, you got to find some way to give this thing away. But in the other cases of the Geir and of the, um, and of the, the Nigzal, when they forgave it to you or when the Geir made it alone and then he died, that's like an act as if you gave it back. Okay, so that's his read. Um, 
Ella, a Valenarche, Lomatim, Ella, my Zacha Halabamasha Biado, Mishum de Zakfanola Bimilva. So, and therefore, why in the case of the Gare did that work? Because that case, since the Gare converted it into a, into, a, into a loan, right, it's not just the debt that you had, I don't know if I said this clearly enough before, the debt you had from stealing from him, that's a debt to pay what you stole. The Gare then said, let's convert it to a loan. It's as if you paid it to me, and I now lent you the money back. So in that type of a case, that counts as if it was returned. The same way when the Nigzel forgives it, it's as if it was returned. Rabbi Akiva's not happy with that. He always needs an act of returning. But Rabbi Yossi says, I will consider these types of things, mechila, turning it, converting it to a loan, as a type of a giving, but not our Mishnah. Our Mishnah, you're the only party, and therefore you still need to get it out of your possession. Um, uh, okay. Rava, Rava takes a similar approach, except says it that it does it through Rebbe Akiva. Hava Rebbe Akiva. Both of the Mishnayos are Rebbe Akiva. Kiyama Rebbe Akiva to lo matzimachil l'nafsheh. Hava l'cherim matzimachil. Rebbe Akiva was only debating with Rebbe Yosei that you had to get it out of your possession in the case of the ger. Because the ger was never mochel. The ger just died. So in that case, he says, that's, you know, Rebios, that doesn't count as an act of returning. But when a third part, when, when the Nigzal actively forgives you, that for Rebbe Akiva does count like an act of returning. Okay, so the same idea. In the Mishnah, the reason it worked by Mechila, the earlier Mishnah, is that counts as an act of forgiving. In our case, it where you're the only party, I mean, the Mishnah where he was forgiven, that counts as an act of returning. In our Mishnah, where you're the heir, there's no act of returning, you're stuck, you got to go ahead and give it, okay? And how do you understand the debate of Rabbi Yossi Aglili and Rabbi Akiva? According to one approach, Rabbi Yossi Aglili, you know, says that, um, um, that, uh, that, that even the case of a ger is like a third party forgiving is like the earlier Mishnah. And Rabbi, and Rabbi Akiva would say, even when a third party forgives, I don't care, you still have to return it. That was the position of Rav Sheshes. Or, or different. Rabbi Yossi Aglili is, you know, you know, is always okay when the debt gets erased. But Rabbi Akiva would say, okay with it when a third party does it, you know, the other person, but not when it happens automatically. And my issue is that I think the case of the gear is a case that it happens automatically. Okay? So Rabbi Akiva is the one that says, I'm okay when somebody else does it. I'm not okay when it happens by itself. It's just that I consider the gear case to be a case that it happens by itself. Okay, So according to this read, Rabbi Yossi Aglili would say, you know, our mission would just be Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Yossi Aglili would say that even if you're the only party, even if it gets erased automatically, you're good. All right, so again, three, multiple different ways of reading it. The first way is it's an extreme debate. Rabbi Yossi Aglili considers it to be just a debt, and when that gets erased, you're fine. Rabbi Akiva always requires that it be returned. Doesn't matter. A third party, yourself, anything. That's the extreme position. Next position is Rabbi Yossi Aglili says that everybody agrees there needs to be some act of returning. Okay? It's just that Rabbi Yossi Aglili is willing to consider the mechila of the nigzal or the death of the ger to be an act of returning because it's another party and Rabbi Akiva is not. Third possibility, Rabbi Yossi Aglili says it's just a debt. 
and you don't need any act of returning at all, and and, and you're done, and and our that's Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Akiva says you need an act of returning. The case of mechila counts as an act of returning. The case of the gear does not count as an act of returning. Okay, hope you got all that. There'll be a test on that tomorrow. Anyway, um, Ella, now the Gemara wants to ask this question. If you say that when the gear died naturally, even without converting it to a debt, since it's that even when the even when the converting it to a loan, excuse me, that when the gear dies naturally, you're exempt. That we only look at this through the lens of pure debt. Okay, this geza, this cape of gezel and a shvua never need an act of returning. It's just a question of debt. If the debt is erased, you're off the hook. If that's true, then in the case of a gear, even if he didn't convert it to a loan, once he dies, you're free from your debt to him. So if that's true, when do you ever give the money to the Kohanim? What would be the case? Because every time the Ger dies, the loans that are owed to him are erased. And if, if according to Rabbi Yossi Aglili, it's only a debt, then you're done. Amar Rava says, Rava, You're right. The only case you would have it is you stole from the Ger, you swore, the gear first died, and then you admitted to what you did. In that case, the debt comes into existence after the gear is dead. And since the gear isn't around, the debt comes into existence to the Kohanim. But if you admitted when the gear was alive and the debt came into existence to the gear, then once the gear dies, you're off the hook, because according to this approach in Rebiosi Aglili, it's only ever a debt. There is never needs an act of giving, and the debt got erased when the gear died. But again, if you were hodel acher misa, if you admitted afterwards that he died, that then there was never a debt to the gear when you admitted it was automatically owed to God and therefore essentially owed to the kohanim. Okay. By Ravina. Now Ravina asks, so we're do- finally done with that, but that was a really getting to the heart of our Mishnah and getting to the heart of the nature of the obligation of swearing and having to return. Do we look at this as just a debt or do we all- also look at it as something that requires a ritual act of giving? Our Mishnah certainly makes it sound like you need a ritual act of giving and then the Gemara wa- wanted to figure out how does this debate of Rabbi Yosef Aglili and Rabbi Akiva, how does that play out? Are there extreme positions? Are there more narrow positions of when a third party is involved? It's like you gave it, and we raised a whole range of possibilities. Now we're going on to a different point about, about stealing from the gear. By Ravina, Gazel Gioris Mahu. If you stole from a female gear and she died and she has no heirs, does that also go to the Kohanim? Does the the Pazak says, Ish Goel, the man has no redeemers. Velo Isha, not a woman. Oh, and it's like Xerus Akasov, this idea that it goes to Kohanim is only by a male gear. That's just a or do you say that's just a normal way the Pazak talks? It doesn't specifically man to exclude women. Amalei Rav Aaron, interesting, Rav Aaron is a very rare name. Amalei Rav Aaron, the Ravina, Tashima, come here, Titania, Ish, ain't the other Ish. We got a Brighta. The Brighta says, you stole from a man, and the man has no redeemers, which is, means he's a gear. I only know a man, Ish, Aminayin. How do I know a woman? Kishwomer, where the Pusuk says, Hamushav, Hasham Hamushav, Lakohain, that is returned, which is an extra word, Hare Kanshnaim. It's telling you that, you know, even it gets returned even to another type of a person. So even a woman, it would be so, and this, and when she's dead, it would go to the Kohanim. Imkain Malta Mudlomer Ish. So then, why does it say Ish? 
Because it says the man has no redeemers, meaning no relatives, no heirs. So that's only true once he's a man. You have to investigate whether he has any heirs because he might have fathered a child. But if somebody is a minor, then you autom- you don't you, you automatically you wouldn't have to say Automatically, you would know again if he were a gear that he would have no relatives who could inherit from him, and therefore uh, because. Because this teaches you the principle that for a minor, we are not concerned that he might have fathered children. Again, a minor under 13, and you do not have to investigate, and it would immediately go to the Kohanim. Okay, we will stop here.